chapter 4, uh, where we started last week and where we picked up. If you remember, we read last week Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. I'll try to kind of lay out some connections to this morning's lesson except for the book of Galatians. Um, so we're going to pick up there this morning. Uh, Shorty, would you lead us with a word of prayer, please? Kind of ask you to bear with me this morning um, as we as we continue in chapter four. I'm going to spend a little bit more time this morning actually reading from Ed Wharton's book Freedom Studies in Galatians. And the reason I'm going to do that is I tend to agree with his analysis of these several scriptures. Uh, and just by way of introduction, I guess I should have done this a long time ago, but Ed Wharton. Um, many of you probably have heard of him, or maybe you've read some books on him. Uh, he was a, uh, he's a gospel preacher and teacher. Uh, he spent uh, many years teaching at the Sunset International Bible Institute out in Lubbock. Uh, he's written some of the other books that we've kind of studied before. Uh, the Church of Christ and the Distinctive Nature of the New Testament Church. Uh, he also has written for Facebook and short Christianity. Anyway, uh, we've kind of been, we haven't just been studying, we're studying the book of Galatians. But uh, his outline in uh, this book, Freedom Studies in Galatians, is, is, is kind of a good outline to follow through the, through the chapter three and through the book of Galatians. But he's got several comments in here that I would like to read uh, because I, I tend to find myself in uh, if you look, though, let's start in Galatians chapter 4, and let's read verses 1 through 3. Paul says, Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is the owner of everything. Now, notice that. Keep that in the back of your mind. The statement that Paul makes that when the heir is a child, he is no different than a slave. Okay? But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental principles of this world. Now, uh, as, you, as we go through chapter 4, Paul is going to use the analogy between a bondman or a slave and a free man. Okay? He's going to continue to use that analogy uh, to represent the different 
Notice there, though, in verses 1 through 3, he says, as long as the heir is a child. Now, if we're talking about this analogy between a, a slave or a bondman and a freeman, in, in his analogy, who do you suppose that the heir represents? We're studying in Galatians, and the issue that has, has arisen here in these Galatian churches, these Galatians and Gentiles, this idea of becoming a Jew in order to become a Christian, or to become saved. So in Paul's analogy here in chapter 4, who would the heir represent? Okay. The heir in Paul's analogy Then has another component to his analogy, which is the slave. Who would the slave represent? The Gentile. But notice what he notice what he says in his analogy between an heir and a slave. There is a there is a point in time where they are, uh, as far as their their status in the household, is the same. Okay. As long as the heir is a child, he is under what? Guardians and managers, and he's no different from a slave. So although he stands to inherit all the blessings of the family, they are not his yet. And obviously the slave does not stand to inherit the blessings of the family. You tracking with all that? So he says there in verse 3, he says, So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage. Now he's used, now this is Paul writing, and he uses the pronoun we. So also now, who is Paul? Paul is a Hebrew from the tribe of Benjamin. So when he uses the pronoun we, he's talking about we who? We the Jews, we the Hebrews. While we were children, we were held in bondage. We were enslaved, he says. Okay? These are all things we're going to talk about this morning. And he, in other words, the bondage, enjo or the, the, the bondage enjoined upon the child is no different than the bondage enjoined upon the slave. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, Paul writes, Therefore, just as through one man centered in, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, listen carefully, and so death spread to all men because all sin. So we're going to talk about this form of slavery that Paul is talking about this morning. Keep that passage in Romans chapter 5 in your mind. So it's obvious then that when Paul's making his case to the Gentile Christians here at Galatia, the message through his analogy 
is that the whole world, Jews and Gentiles, are held in bondage under sin. We're going to talk about what that sin is. Now, in Romans chapter 8, and I think we read this last week, starting in verse 14, Paul writes, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Two things that we need to catch already there. Number one, being enslaved and being adopted. Okay? The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Now let's talk about this idea of bondage. He's, he's made the point that both Hebrews and Gentile are under bondage. Even though one is an heir and the other one is a slave. Both are under bondage. What are they under bondage to? In Romans chapter 5, we just read it, it says, Just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. See, once we begin to sin, and once we, uh, once we have the knowledge of sin, we begin to die, don't we? Both physically and spiritually. So we are under, or we are enslaved by what? Sin. accountability of sin, the guilt of sin, and the power of death. Now the Calvinists will tell you that the curse of the law, the enslavement of the law, is the bondage to ritual bondage or the enslavement of religious teaching. Okay? But this is never the case. From, from the very beginning, from the time the law was given until the time it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The, the enslavement of the law, the bondage of the law, was not the religious tedium, although you and I would agree that if we go back to uh, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and we spend any much time delving into those things, reading them, uh, trying to understand them, we can understand them, we, we see that it is very laborious. Okay? And so 
So the idea then becomes, well, well, this slavery, this bondage is to the drudgery of law-keeping. But that's not the idea that's being conveyed by Paul here in Galatians chapter 4. There were rituals. There was sacrifice. There were observances that were required under the old law. But this was not this was not the uh, the enslavement. Okay. Many times we see in Scripture where the Holy Spirit testifies that God's law is holy, that God's law is perfect, that it is good. The psalmist says in Psalms one nineteen and verse seventy seven, he says, "May your compassion come to me that I may live." For your law is my delight. So if someone was bound in drudgery or bound in laborious religious tedium, why would he refer to God's law as his delight? In Psalms 119 and verse 97, the psalmist says, Oh, how I love your law. Man does not love something that enslaves him to tedium or to uh, uh, drudgery or uh, man doesn't love that it is my meditation all the day Psalms 19 and verse 7 the law of the Lord is perfect restoring the soul the testimony of the Lord is sure making wise Law's ritual was not a curse, but a blessing. Listen carefully. There was nothing wrong with the law itself. It was perfect. It came from God. Did David, the psalmist, delight in drudgery? Were the Israelites worn down by Sabbath-keeping? Why was the Sabbath giving according to Jesus? The rest. Were they rewarded now by Sabbath keeping, which was imposed for the benefit of men that they not be overworked? For keeping the commandments and the ordinances of Moses' law and civil and ceremonial ordinances, drudgery, not to those whose hearts were attuned to God. There was nothing wrong with the law itself. The law's ritual was not a curse, but a blessing. However, it exposed mankind's utterly sinful nature, pronounced him a bond slave to sin, and revealed his inability to save himself by such a legal system. Read that again. The law's ritual was not a curse but a blessing. However, it exposed mankind's utterly sinful nature, pronounced him a bond slave to sin, and revealed his inability to save himself by such a legal system. Now understand something. The law is perfect. And if I cannot attain 
to the fulfillment of the law, then it doesn't demonstrate a flaw in the law. It demonstrates my imperfection. The law of God is a perfect standard. Listen to this. We read in, we read in the Gospels many different accounts where Jesus is, is uh, confronting or opposed by or in, uh, or in disagreement or there's always a clash between Jesus and the religious establishment of the day. A lot of it had to do with the Sabbath. Okay? But you, we need to understand that by this time, the law of God had been, what had happened to it? It was when men perverted the nature of the law into legalism. As these false teachers had done in attempting to be justified by law keeping, that it became an unbearable yoke. In other words, this idea that instead of seeing that God's standard was perfect, and it uh, points out my inability to be perfect, or it establishes my imperfection, and it's been perverted into something that says, I can be this, I can attain to this, watch me do it. And not only that, it had been added to, it had been taken away from. By this time, these all these different sects of Judaism, denominate, you and I would call them denominations, Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes. And what we had what had happened is that the law of Moses, given by God, perfect, holy, and good, had degenerated into Judaism. Okay? The religion of the Jews. Matthew chapter, and Jesus points this out during his whole earthly ministry in Matthew chapter 15 and verses 3 through 6. And he answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? He didn't say, uh, he's, not, he's not praising them for their obedience to the law of Moses, but in fact, what he's doing is, is uh, contrasting what they are doing from the law of God. Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. That's straight out of God's law. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God, he is not to honor his father or mother. And by this you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your, for your, for the sake of your tradition. The parallel to that in Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 8, says, Neglecting the commandment of God, or setting aside the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. And what he's, he is, he is directing that straight at their religion. 
you need to understand something. By this point, this group of people, their religion had become their religion. Do you see what I'm saying? Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. He was also saying to them, you are experts. An expert is, you're really good at this. At setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. You and I would refer to this as legalese. Loopholes. Workarounds. In runs. And this idea continues. As we see here in the book of Galatians, all through the, the, the establishment and the beginning and the growth of the church, this was an issue that continued to had to be dealt with. Okay? In Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 16, Paul says, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink, or in respect to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. All of these things that the Hebrews received, they were pointing to what? To Jesus. They were pointing to a time of fulfillment when something would come and redeem them from bondage, not from God's perfect moral law, but bondage to sin and death. The very thing that God's law established or pointed out or revealed in mankind. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. I, I'm kind of a preacher. I, I try to... And sometimes I, I decide, okay, I'm not... I'll go for the But do you notice during last week, I don't know if any of you saw this, you know, the Easter and all that. Uh, there were some, there were some, this happens every year, this observance thing. South Carolina. Anyway, uh, you know, you'll have this big ritual where these people will actually have themselves crucified not to sin and death. Some of them will carry around uh, plagrim, you know, the multi-tailed whip, and they'll walk around and go with the whip and the staff and all that like that. And they'll be this is this is connected with the suffering of Christ. This totally misses the point. Why would you do that to yourself? It's already been done for you. Uh, perhaps it's observed in practices, whatever. Okay, either Jesus is your sacrifice or He is not. Okay. Now, if you want to, if you want to sacrifice yourself this way, that's fine. 
but don't claim Jesus as your Savior. Because the Word of God teaches that, that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is sufficient for all need of Him and for all time. Okay? So, so we have this idea of things that appear to be deeply spiritual, but in reality have no, no, have no part in God's Word. And that's what, that's what Paul's getting at here in Colossians chapter 2. Let no one keep defrauding of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? Listen carefully. These are matters which have, you be sure, the appearance of wisdom, self-made religion, self-abasement, severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Go back to Romans chapter 8. Remember, Paul says that those who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are children of God. Titus chapter 1, starting in verse 7, Paul writes for the overseer. Now, he's talking about elders here, but what he's going to say here is instruction for all of us. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able to both to exhort and sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. He says that because it's leading into his point. For there are many rebellious men. He's establishing why is it important for an elder to be able to teach, exhort, refute, contradict, For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. He's, he's talking exactly about the, the issues that we're talking about here in the book of Galatians. Who must be silenced? These people must be silenced. They must be forced to keep their mouth shut. Because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. And what he's saying is that these people come directly out of the circumcision. Or a bunch of them. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely, so that they may be sound in the faith. 
not paying attention to Jewish myth and commandments of men, you turn away from the truth. These Judaizers in the churches at Galatia are attempting to turn these people away from the truth of the gospel. And the truth pertaining to the people in the history of the, of the Hebrew people and not keeping that history, that teaching, in the proper context of God's plan to bless the world through the seed of Abraham. In Acts chapter uh, 15, you remember in Acts chapter 15 that uh, there had been a, there's, there's a big get-together here at Jerusalem to deal with these issues of the Gentiles being brought in being welcomed to Christ, uh, that they too uh, uh, could receive the blessing of God through Jesus, adopted as sons. Uh, and so they had they had a big powwow there in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, uh, referred to as the, the Council of Jerusalem. How are we going to uh, how are we going to kind of resolve this issue uh, about bringing the Gentiles in, and we have the Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Peter stands up in Acts chapter 15, starting verse 7. He says, After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he also did to us. This would be a manifestation of God's plan. You remember in Acts chapter 10 when he goes to Cornelius' house and the Holy Spirit miraculously falls upon uh, Cornelius and his household and they began speaking in tongues. This was a demonstration of what? This miraculous demonstration of the Holy Spirit was to signify to Peter and those with him that God welcoming the Gentiles into the body of Christ so that he could the invitation could be received. And he made no distinction between us and them cleansing their hearts by faith. Now therefore why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples and he, he says disciples and that would include both the Hebrew disciples, the Hebrew Christians and the Gentile Christians. I don't like to use the hyphenated The disciples, a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. It was when men perverted the nature of the law into legalism, as these false teachers had done, and attempted to be justified by law keeping, that it became an unbearable. talking about how, how bondage is actually 